Blog Talk Radio. Once again, to Madam Perry Salon, the podcast that loves you, the podcast where the fascinating people meet. And um, I am your host, Groove Mistress and Cruise Director, Madam Perry. You can call me Jennifer, Jan, JP, Perry. You don't have to call me Madam. I'm just glad that you're here, and I'm glad I am as well. Um, Guys, such a great show for tonight, someone I've been trying to get for nearly, probably just about a year, and he is here tonight. Well, he's not here yet. He's not quite in the genie bottle. Maybe he's never been to a genie bottle before out in cyberspace, and uh, maybe he's a little lost, So, uh, but he should be here soon. By the way, my nephew and I took a trip weekend before last to New York City, and I know this is a play or musical that's been around for, gosh, uh, a decade or more, but I had never seen it, and uh, this was one of the things my nephew wanted to do, I was to see the Book of Mormon, and I am still laughing. So, please call in with your reminiscence of Book of Mormon if you wish. Now, while I wait... Uh, for tonight's guest to uh, get here. And I'm looking out the window at the genie bottle. Don't see him here yet. But while I'm waiting, I'm going to play some music by, let's see, who are some of our favorite people? Should we have um, Bruce? Should we have Dane Lewis? Uh, who, who, who? Chris White Experience? You know what? I'm going to go with our friends in Liverpool, Joe Symes and The Loving Kind. And uh, a song from their newest EP has been on a, getting a lot of uh, radio play, A Place to Call Our Own, Joe Symes and the Loving Kind.
place to call our own by our friends Joe Symes and the Loving Kind in Liverpool, England. And if you're in Liverpool and you go to the Liverpool Football Club games, you've probably heard that song a lot um, played during the stadium. I mean, uh, at the stadium. I'm just crazy about those guys. But anyway, are you ready? Yes. Okay. So, of course, tonight's guest is so improbably clever. He did find his way to the genie bottle, so I wasn't trying to insinuate he had never. He just probably hadn't been in cyberspace to this genie bottle where Madame Perry's salon is held and where the fascinating people that I'm fortunate enough to meet and to have accept invitations are here, as well as all of my listeners who review or message in questions or comments or call in. And I am so thrilled to have this guest here tonight. I'm thrilled with every guest, actually, but I'm certainly thrilled tonight. So I, now that he's, if he can get settled in um, uh, into his his cushions here in this little bottle, uh <laughs> I could spend so much time just introducing him, but that wouldn't be as much fun as listening to him talk about it. So I want to welcome <laughs> Emmy Award-winning writer, storyboard artist, and uh, gosh, so many other things. Joshua Pruitt, welcome to Madame Perry Salon. Hi, pleasure to be here. I am absolutely delighted to have you here. Can you hear me okay? We didn't get to do sound check. I absolutely can. I absolutely can. Okay, great, great. Perfect, perfect. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, just don't slide back from the phone or fall asleep or anything, so we're great. Listen, uh, so you had a busy day? Yes, yes. We, uh, we, are, we are still uh, hard at work on uh, Hamster and Gretel. We have over on Disney Channel and Disney Plus, we've got a lot of episodes still airing, and we're still making cartoons. Um, and we've been at it for almost two years, uh, like early next month. We've been working together for about two years on this show. Oh, word. Th- that is just, uh, uh, it's magnificent. And bringing joy, you're just continuing yourself and your cohorts to bring joy to people, uh, which we always need, but as we you hear a lot lately, even more so now. I was going to ask you, you know, I've wanted to get you on for about a year here in the Genie Bottle, but um, one of the fun things about following you, or for anybody that follows him on LinkedIn, is that, especially with all the beautiful posts you have of the colors and the pictures of characters, whether it's Hamster and Gretel or anything else, it's like you've got a friend in the business who gives you a sneak peek. And even though it's not hidden stuff, even though it's okay for you to show us, it's still so cool coming from you when you give people updates on what's happening and what's coming and what you're doing and everything with the uh, uh, Disney uh, TVA and, and all your projects. Oh, but thank you. you. Yeah, I really I, – I love sharing behind the scenes, number one. And mm-hmm. so I love giving a sneak peek to folks. And then um, I do a little bit of teaching myself, and so I absolutely remember being a student and wanting to just – See a little bit more about how the sausage is made. So I try to keep that in mind, and and I you know I love being as transparent as I'm allowed to legally, um, but I, I get <laughs> yes. a big kick out I, I get a big kick out of it as well. Yeah, I know. I started uh, 
by work. As you know, I'm, I'm a publicist. You you might know, you might not know, but anyway, um, I'm a publicist, and I started my work working for HBO, and then, of course, in Atlanta in the last few years, we're doing part-time work on some uh, TV or film productions here, and mm. even though you you don't know who I am, I've signed a stack of ND, NDAs. Is that what? <laughs> oh, yes, NDAs. <laughs> oh, yes. That could, um, you know, that could, that could uh, fill a dumpster, make a small dumpster, but still, you know, people take jokes about it. Oh, come on, tell me something. But you know, it's just one time you let something slip, and that's when it mm-mm, be bad. Mm-hmm. It's real. I've had my wrist slap before. I, I, <laughs> I gotta be careful. <laughs> so worst thing with when. Uh, I think it was when Stranger Things started, and as a resident townsperson, I had to get the 80s perm. They sent us all together. Oh, nice. To get, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but I couldn't tell anybody why I did it. So every time somebody <laughs> asked me why my hair, you know, because at the time, you know, I'm a redhead, but as redhead, fortunately, doesn't gray, it turns blonde. And people, my, mm. people are going, so you okay so your next impersonation is cuz I used to work as a professional Madonna in Maryland um about 10 years, oh, 20 years ago and they said, oh so now I thought you were going to do Phyllis Diller what are you doing now Harpo Marx but I had to make up <laughs> you know you can't tell the truth so I've got to go uh and I didn't have a little bicycle horn so I had to just say um uh, well I promised my nieces and nephews if they got you know good grades I would do this. You know, you you got to say something to make people stop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Well, and, and it's always that thing, too, but it's something you're real excited about. And on any normal circumstances, you know, you'd be screaming at the top of your lungs about it. And I guess that's that's that kind of ironic thing, which is, you know, it, there's a piece of this where they want to – it's their property. They want to roll it out when they want um, and but you know making people wait that's uh, not fun for me either uh, it's not fun for you either it'd be, it's way more fun to share that excitement and that joy and what a way for you to lead me into a great story that I heard you tell or actually a couple of great stories and I hope you don't mind retelling them here on Madam Perry Salon <clears throat> but these were a couple too especially I loved hearing it on um, with the funny sci-fi show Oh yeah, podcast, yeah. Oh, podcast, great, yeah. Great, yeah. I, those people are so there. much yeah. fun. And uh yeah. one of the stories was about the work you were doing and then finally um and submitting things and I believe there was also a person uh is and I've tried to look her up. Is her name Jackie Rayner or Jacqueline Rayner? Yeah, Jack Rayner, yeah, the Doctor Who writer. Yeah. Yes. And um about how you got into uh Doctor Who, w- would you tell that story here too? So, because it's just so oh cool. sure, oh, I would I would love to share life changing thing. So so kind of as you were talking about you know sharing things online and and you know trying to be a little bit transparent. You know, uh, for me myself being a fan, I'm a, I'm a huge fanboy. I'm a dyed in the wool geek, and I love science fiction and horror. And and one of my favorite things in the world is Doctor Who, and. Um, you know, the more research I've done over the years and looking into, you know, who was doing the spin-off material, you know, Doctor Who's got 60 years of mm. books, novels, comic books, and uh, more specifically, audio productions. 
tremendous company by the name of Big Finish. They've been at it for over 20 years now. Um, they produce very high-quality audiobooks, full cast, music, sound effects, the works, featuring the original doctors, those who are still with us, uh, reprising their roles. And, I mean, this is some top-tier um. stuff, not just license, you know, uh, you know, this is this is really top tier material, and so I started following the art, the you know, the writers and directors who are producing all of this, and you know, essentially stalking them a little bit online, and one of them was uh, Jack Rayner, who had been writing. She's written for all the Doctors. She's written for David Tennant's Tenth Doctor on audio and a number of novels. Um, but over time, she'd been very uh, closely associated with the sixth doctor who had a shorter run on television but then had an incredible kind of blossoming of his character a growth and evolution on audio and jack uh, was a huge part of that and so following her and just appreciating her body of work and when i found her on twitter because i was like i want to follow these people i want to know what they do you know i want to know about their career and their path and when i found jack's twitter icon it was Vanessa from Phineas and Ferb, and I couldn't believe it. And so we very quickly, over Twitter, and I, you know, I worked on Phineas for almost two seasons, and um, at that point, and we started up like a mutual admiration society. And you know, there were a couple of times, you know, we would talk a little bit about, you know, her twin boys loving the show, and they were into another series I worked on called Milo Murphy's Law. There was actually a Doctor Who parody on that series that we developed. Um, but, you know, over the years, Jack and I would just, you know, share over uh, Twitter and DM each other and we just got friendly. And uh, over the pandemic, this would be like August of 2020, I got a DM from Jack saying that she had recently been promoted and she was going to be driving a series of new box sets for Colin Baker, the sixth doctor. And she asked if I would be willing to do a story to write, officially licensed by the BBC, a six-doctor adventure for her. And I, I tell you what, I cried. I cried reading the email and on my walk back home because I was out on my morning walk when I got the email. Um, and, you know, I, I couldn't sign up and say yes faster and, you know, spent most of the rest of the day running around the house screaming. You know, I've been a Doctor Who fan since I was a very young man, and I was like, you know, seven or eight years old uh, in New York visiting my dad and watching Tom Baker, the fourth Doctor, and getting the wit scared out of me and hiding behind the couch. <laughs> um, but but the idea of, you know, me, and you know, uh, there you know, very few Americans have, have written for Doctor Who in general, um, but, you know, it, absolute dream come true. Absolute dream come true. Oh, fantastic! And I've got to say, and, and actually, if, and if you don't mind, you know, there's a, a little extra too to that story. And I have to give shout out and big love to your wife because oh, uh, she has. Sounds like she is right there on the Joshua Pruitt train, um, keeping it. Keeping the engine going and, and supporting everything and cheering you on. 
Megan, you do things oh, you might not do, in. like say, can I be in on oh, this? Oh, yeah. So, so, yeah. So, so yeah, thanks for the cue. <laughs> so, you know, as a part of this, as, as, a, as a part of this process, you know, I was thrilled enough to get to, the chance to write it. Um, but since we were kind of still in the middle of the pandemic when they were doing the recording, you know, I thought I'd at least, I, you know, I was curious about whether maybe I could jump in on the record since it was all being done, you know, over Zoom and similar. Um, and, you know, I had I had initially reached out, and the impression I got was, yeah, you know, they really don't do it, and, um, you know, there wasn't a reason, and, and the, it's not like they were trying to block me, but I was like, oh, okay, you know, I took the hint. Um, and on the day, you know, the week previous to the record, I discovered – you know, when it was going to be happening and was just really excited, spent the whole week in the car, you know, telling my kids and wife, they're going to record my Doctor Who, they're going to record my Doctor Who. And uh, on the day of, you know, my wife convinced me to go ahead and email Jack, the producer, and just ask her if I could sit in. And I wasn't going to do it because I just, I didn't want to bother anybody. I didn't want to be a bother. And, you know, 20 minutes later, I've got direct messages from Jack, emails from Jack, um, Facebook messages from Jack saying, they're going to send you the link. They're going to send you the link. Where are you? Where are you? Um, so I very quickly threw some clothes on and, um, <laughs> and jumped onto the Zoom. And it was, a, a, I mean, for something that was already felt life-changing, like everything just kind of leveled up. Like, you know, I got to actually meet um, – uh, the Sixth Doctor, I got to chat with Colin Baker and the rest of the cast. Everyone was so warm, and they were they were more excited that I had worked at, on Phineas and Ferb than, than I was that they were, you know, Doctor Who royalty in my mind and heart. Um, and it was, it was just a singular, extraordinary experience. And, um, yeah, they're really – I actually spent – I spent that morning kind of dictating – you know, and journaling the entire event. So I just wouldn't forget it, um, you know, so that, you know, one day when I'm in my 70s, I can look back on it and go, this was real, this actually happened. Well, yeah, that's that's perfect because you don't want to forget anything. You you want to keep every detail of that. Um, Absolutely. I can't imagine uh, how, how long and how vibrant and how long that buzz lasted. I mean, right oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I want to say months. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was pretty obnoxious about it. I was pretty obnoxious about it. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> I doubt that. I'm sure whatever you said or did or Brett was, was certainly all righteous and earned. And, and oh, I know you. from listening to your interviews and the way you tell the story – it's not like you're not obnoxious. What you are is sharing and letting us all come into the campfire around you. Oh, come on, Josh. Tell us a story about, you know, when you're uh, – <laughs> come on, come on. Tell us one more, Joshua. Uh, tell us that story you know. again. Tell us that story again. Yeah. Well, okay, okay, little one. Gather around, gather around. <laughs> you know, I was mentioning earlier that when I took my nephew to uh, – uh, New York two weeks ago. He had never been, never been on a plane, anything. And uh, oh, wow, he wow. wanted to see, one of the things on his list was to see Book of Mormon. And so oh, have, you, have you seen it? I just know the music and it's it's really, it's amazing, yeah. Okay, yeah, the Parker Stone thing. So how it ends up at the end. Great stuff, yeah. 
the religion, um, yes, I could see you, uh, your stories turning into the what the Mormon religion was that they were teaching to the Ugandas, Ugandas that ended up having, I think, Lieutenant Uhura, Jabba the Hutt, and all these people in it. Um, oh yeah, part of, it's pretty wild. Part of the I could I could see I could see you taking that a step, <laughs> several steps further. So um, it's, yeah. it's that it's that uh, yeah it's there's a oh, I forget the name of it but there's a dragon movie that came out years ago, oh, Reign of Fire, where the kids were the kids were being taught Star Wars as if it were like ancient mythology, um, <laughs> which was just such a blast. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be happy to tell those stories when I'm old and gray. You betcha. And you know, if Phineas and Ferb, my gosh, did I mean that is so incredibly popular? Um, oh yeah, that's a and I got to be honest, that's, it's a real special show. Um, and I I uh, yeah that that's the one that's probably going to be on my tombstone. Um, yeah. Like the I jo- I joined I joined it late in the game, uh, but but yeah, blessed to have joined it uh, season four, uh, and was there uh, the last official season, and then we did a series of specials right afterwards, and then uh, I was brought back to co-write uh, Candace Against the Universe, which uh, came out uh, a bit ago on Disney Plus, and that was the one I actually won my Emmy for. But yeah, I, I considered these folks family and um you know it, it's certainly the kind of thing where when i bring it up it really changes the tone of the conversation because mm-hmm. you know pe- people kids and grandkids nieces nephews you know have watched it and there's a generation now of, of kids who are like in college who grew up with it and that's that's an extraordinary thing to be a part of absolutely oh my and i i have to admit i, I wasn't even uh, aware of how pervasive the fandom is and the fame, because uh, mm. I started getting messages from people um, when you know Megan, my producer, uh, we had a meeting this week and her her son was there. He's he's six, and uh, he goes, "Do you really know the guy does finish first?" And I said, "Yeah, so does your mom now." <laughs> I don't really know him. She's talked to him more than I have, and you know, and, and he's like, "My mom, really? Yes, Megan, yeah." And uh, and then all these, and then my nephew started texting me this morning. Hey, the guys I work with uh, were watching Phineas and Ferb this morning, and I told him the guy's going to be on your podcast. And all he goes, "They think I'm making this up," you know. And I thought, "Dang," you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was thinking, that, you know, that, I. That, go, oh, ahead. go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just going to share. You know, there's there's this, there's this one thing. One is, it's it's great. It, it's a it's a special thing when when I think young people know what you do. Like I like right now, my kids are are uh, eleven and thirteen, and so you know I've been writing for you know, all audiences and writing and animation for quite a few years now, over 15 years. And, you know, being able to write things that my kids care about and want to watch is, is, is a real gift. And, um, you know, I love, you know, cause I, I think I am kind of a grown up kid, uh, who just never grew up just taller. Um, and, and, and to be a part of something like Phineas, which is, so imaginative, warm, and funny, um, and that parents and kids enjoy. 
Um, it, yeah, it's, it's got a heck of a legacy for sure. Oh, seriously. And now another thing here is um, oh, what I was going to say. Oh, by the way, this would be a good time while I'm while I'm in a. Um, I'm going to do. I'm going to do a call back to your show with with those cool sci-fi people. Uh, a little airbender yeah. in my brain, and where I forgot where oh, I was yeah. going. Um, but this would be a great time to let people know that if you want to talk to Joshua Pruitt, I'm sure he won't mind. The number is six four six seven one six nine nine two two. Blog Talk Radio assures me that it is a toll-free call, continental U.S., but 646-716-9922. Or for my listeners who, well, we've all been there, Joshua. you got people who have uh, maybe a, a job where they can't make a phone call or something, uh, but you got something oh, to sure. say, then you just leave a, send a message to me on Facebook, either through Madam Perry Salon or through Jennifer Maudette Perry, and I'll be happy to share it with Greg right away. And I believe I've got a caller coming in. Just a moment. But before before I take this, before I before we uh, bring this extra guest in, you know, uh, and just a little bit, too, I want to get to um, some of the things that you make us think about um, in, in another interview is that when you're creating a story, a lot of people who listen to the show are writers or artists and they want to yeah. create, they want to know where to go, how do I start, where to go. But I remember a talk where you were saying that um, it's when you're creating the story, you also have to think about, and please forgive me, I know I'm not going to get this accurate because I'm not going to but that you <laughs> have to also be, you have to also be careful or thoughtful of, the your your storyboard team and the people oh, yeah. who are doing the drawing and about what kind what you're putting on them with each story. Yeah, that's a great. Um, I'm actually really glad you brought that up. Uh, I think part of uh, one of the assumptions about animation is that you know we can do anything we want and and you know that's mostly true. But having started my career as a storyboard artist and then moved into writing full time. It's like one of the things that I think is really, really important and easy to lose sight of is that, you know, animation is a team sport. And, you know, now that I'm on this side where I'm working with words, you know, I definitely try to think visually. But the other thing that I try to do um, and try to encourage uh, my peers to do is to be conscientious about what you're writing, the demands of it, um, how ambitious it is. You know, I mean, there's there's a cliche of, you know, try not to have too many crowd scenes because those crowd scenes, what they mean in a very literal sense, um, you know, the sheer amount of labor that you are demanding of your storyboard artists, character designers, layout team, background painters, and eventually animation itself. So, you know, one of the things that I kind of remind myself and joke around about, but it's very real, is, you know, uh, great B-movie filmmaker, Roger Corman, you know, he's famous for being cheap and producing horror, <laughs> science fiction, drama uh, during the 60s and into the 70s and 80s. Um, but what he's most famous for is, you know, this idea of, like, reusing sets because they spent the money. They don't want to build new sets. And so a lot of the things that we're sometimes up against in animation, for instance, is if we do something really ambitious in one episode, well, 
those last three episodes, all those backgrounds and those characters that were designed, let's keep using them. So I think sometimes there is a, uh, a very practical and low-budget mentality that you should apply, you know, when you're, when you're collaborating with a team so that you don't overload all the other folks who are working down the line who have to translate your script, you know, into something that somebody can watch. Um, and I think, you know, being a conscientious writer, creator, I think it's really important. It's really important. The other thing that's really good that it does is it, I think, teaches you some discipline as well, um, mm. that you're not just doing, you know, big, huge, ambitious stuff all the time. Sometimes thinking small uh, is a great uh, creative impetus for new ideas. Ah, okay. All right. Yeah, that, <laughs> you would never think about that, and I never would have thought about the crowd scenes um, and how, how, how yeah. that impacts the team all – yeah. And if it's going to be a team, you want to keep them on your side. Uh, definitely, definitely. Because you don't think about. I mean, I was think only my only comparison is that once when I was um, uh, when I was working as, as another townsperson on uh, Star Girl, and we were at a flog game, and they weren't people because it was cold, so they would just move around and move around so they could put the CGI in, and then we would have to like just oh, change yeah. our jacket jacket and go to the other side so we could be the other team's fans and do the same thing. <laughs> you know, so I don't think, not thinking, that's just people getting up and walking. That's not people having to do a storyboard um, or draw right, or color, right, whatever. Right, sure. So, yeah, all of it, let yeah, me... Bring in somebody who wants to talk to you. Hi, and welcome once oh, again to Matt and Perry Salon. And I think this, I think this person is calling from somewhere in the Chicago area. Welcome yes, I Matt. am. Hello. Well, hello, hello. Come on in. Introduce yourself. I know who you are. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, my, uh, I, Mr. Pruitt might be familiar with me a little bit. My, uh, I'm Peter G. I'm an independent animator out of Chicago. I follow him on LinkedIn, and we've talked a little bit uh, on some of his posts. Always been a very nice guy. Oh, hi, and I just Hi there, and I'm just I'm just thrilled to be able to talk with you one on one on the show. This is this really is a pleasure. Oh, great! Yeah, um, if if you don't mind, I was hoping to shoot maybe a question or two past you because. I, yeah. You know, I'm a garage animator, so I'm always interested in like some of the more practical sides of, of the art. Uh, the big question that I want to ask you is: one of the things I loved about Phineas and Ferb was how it managed to walk the line of doing really edgy things without losing its all ages edge. Like Night of the mm. Living Pharmacists was was a horror movie, but it was never to the point where it was going to have people screaming for the exits like Return to Oz. How do you yeah. how were you able how were you able to manage towing that line between telling a horse a horror story while still keeping it uh, audience appropriate for what you were doing? Because that really was a work of genius. Oh, that's uh, uh, super appreciate that comment. Thank you so much. Um, and so glad you loved it. Um, it, it I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. It's one of my favorite things that I worked on when I was on the show. Um, I, when I first joined, you know, for, for folks who don't know, the way it works on we were what's called a board-driven show, storyboard-driven show. So a script-driven show is like Simpsons or Family Guy where there's a team of writers, they develop a script, that script gets passed on to the storyboard artist and then down 
the production line. On uh, the early SpongeBob series, uh, Rocko's Modern Life, which uh, Dan and Swampy actually worked on, the creators of Phineas. Um, and on Phineas, we were a board-driven show. And what that meant is that there was a small group of writers who would generate an outline, usually you know, between two and three pages, um, and then that would be passed off to a storyboard team. And that team would be responsible for writing the dialogue and drawing all of the storyboard panels for an 11-minute episode. And when I joined the series, I was really excited to be a writer and storyboard artist and to get credit for writing for the first time in my career. And, uh, but one of the first things I was curious about, because I like to write in my spare time, passionate about it, and do my own stuff, is if I could also pitch outlines. And it turned out that some folks had done it, and they had gotten rejected, and, but uh, largely folks weren't doing that. And I had this notion of doing a zombie episode. I, nobody, I, I didn't know because I had just joined the series. I didn't know they'd been trying to do it for four years, like, but they hadn't necessarily cracked what the idea was. And so I kind of got, I didn't know this, so I just was brainstorming, how would you do a zombie show? Like right now they've got zombie musical on Disney Channel, but, you know, this is back like 2011, 2012. And I was like, okay, if everyone gets turned into doofenshmirtz, if you, if you lean it into his innators, his inventions, and everyone gets turned into doof, it's like a virus you could still play all of the classic zombie tropes. It's just nobody's getting eaten. You could still be do scary stuff, like you suggested, Pete, but they're just not decomposing dead bodies. You know, it's Doofenshmirtz instead. <coughs> Excuse me. The other thing I uh, discovered, or the kind of happy accident that I ended up with was, oh, also... If Dan, the co-creator, if he's doing, <clears throat> if he's doing the voice for half of every character in that episode, he might say yes to my pitch. Hmm. So I was trying to incentivize, you know, pitching this to the team. So I actually pitched this to uh, head writer Scott Peterson, um, who's uh, now a dear friend of mine and collaborator, um, and he pitched it to the team and. Dan Swampy loved it, and we did some rewriting on it. But, yeah, it became an episode, like, regularly in the top ten. And it wouldn't have happened if I didn't, you know, kind of stick my neck out and be like, hey, what can I bring to the show? Oh, I'm a zombie fan. You know, we even got George Romero um, to do a voice in that episode, which was just an incredible gift. It was one of the last things that he did um, before he passed. Um, but it was, it was very much a love letter to him and the Image 10 team, Anyways, but I think, you know, more specifically your question, it was really about how can you play all those moments, play the fear legitimately, it's just nobody's going to get bit. Nobody's going to get their arms torn off. And, and, and in total fairness, I mean, Disney was really on board. They liked the idea a lot. There was a hot second where it was actually going to be a Disney Channel original movie. It was going to be like a 90-minute, like, across the second dimension. Um, and at that point, they had switched gears and decided to do a lot of specials. But, um, yeah, I'm so glad you uh, dug that one, Pete. Thanks. 
Yeah, it's it, the show has always been interesting. You can tell the you can tell how much they love horror. The first time I saw the episode where uh, where uh, Perry is uh, Perry and Doofenshmirtz team up to fight the the Platypus Hunter, and there's the reference oh, yeah. to Evil Dead in there. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, this is an interesting crew right here. So. Yeah, yeah. I was I'm very much the horror guy who's like bringing that to the table on pretty much everything I work on. Um, and so, you know, sometimes it's it's accepted with you know warm uh, open arms, and sometimes it's not. So you know, I try to find my window. <laughs> well, um, another question, if I can ask, and this is something I'm actually really curious about because your career spans back a long time. I mean, you were working with DreamWorks on stuff like Mary Madagascar and that, and I yeah. know that you I know that you do storyboards and that. It seems like it seems like uh, storyboarders have basically changed as as the software for uh, computer animation has become more prevalent. It seems like storyboarders are taking over more of like uh, like the sheet timers uh, duties and things like that. What changes have you seen from when you started in the industry to what now? And mm. What do you think was a good change and what has you going, oh, we should have stuck with the old way? Mm. Well, that's a good question. Um, I think there's, you know, the when I started in production at DreamWorks, I started as an intern actually and then was working on like Shrek the Third and Over the Hedge in a production capacity, you know, supporting the story teams. Um, and you know, at that time, the studio and most studios were moving from a traditional hand-drawn process to a digital process. So on Trek the Third, I was actually still, you know, shooting hand-numbered storyboards on a down shooter, on an animation camera. Um, so this was like uh, 2006. Um, and then we slowly started, started uh, going over to a digital pipeline where we've got a lot of storyboard artists are working digitally, and now that's what everyone is doing. I think, you know, everything has its checks and balances, I would say. You know, when things started moving away from 2D and moved into 3D, there were a lot of animators who cross-trained who were at the forefront, and they've gone into, you know, really tremendous success. Um, you know, there, there are folks on the original Lord of the Rings trilogy who, you know, started as traditional stop-motion animators, you know, working in, in horror and science fiction in the 80s, who then would go and help innovate and make Gollum everything that Gollum is. And so, you know, in my experience being a fan of all this stuff, when I go back and I research all of the artists, craftsmen, and women who, who've in, inspired me, you know, there's very much a cyclical nature to all of this. And, and I think that, you know, one of the things that, I've, that I observed is that there were a lot of 2D animators, who, the ones who didn't want to go into 3D animation, just as an example, they ended up moving into storyboarding. And, and that track often is a directing track. So there are a lot of animators who then cross-trained and move into different sections and, and opened up new avenues in their career. And, and similar for my uh, journey, it's like moving from one area into another area, as difficult as it was, it, it absolutely opened up my career in ways that I never would have guessed um, or even imagined. So I think even when it comes to things like sheet timers and, and, and the like, Pete, like you mentioned, you know, it's, we've got, even on Hamster, we have a range of folks, some of whom, you know, have been working in 2D since the 80s. Um, and so a lot of it has to do with 
what that show's specific needs happen to be. But I think often there is a, a gut reaction to technology change, and then shortly thereafter, things will actually start to level off. So, for instance, there's a lot of push right now toward, um, you know, a, a digital and then also like a 3D boarding. There's some shows that want their storyboard artists to actually know a 3D package where they're doing very little drawing at all. But my experience is that often that it ends up from a pipeline standpoint, it ends up being only one or two shows that are actually doing it on a daily basis. The other shows are using that technology as a support tool because it, it's not necessarily as fast as me thumbnailing by hand and then scanning that and then that being edited. So just as an example. <laughs> this is an example. Okay, I want to stop just a moment here, and I'm going to um, I'm going to play a 45 second clip so we can get some water. I can give uh, uh, our very generous guest, generous with his art, his talent, and his time, Joshua Pruitt, uh, just a, a short breather. And if you're listening live and want to call in, I've got Joshua Pruitt, the Emmy Award winner, the only human being on earth to have written for both Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Doctor Who. Oh, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I just can't get enough of that. Uh, and before I play that clip, I've got to say, I have not yet seen, um, I have not yet seen Night of the Living Farmers, but I've got to, because when I, I, and I hope this is okay with you, Joshua, but when I read it, the description of it, I thought, Okay, was this something that was stolen? Was this idea stolen by um, the people who write Welcome to Night Vale? Oh, oh. <laughs> I you love ever listen to the that? They're great. Oh, I, oh. Love, I love that show. I love Night Welcome to Night yeah. <laughs> Okay, so um, hold on, give me 45 seconds, and if someone is holding to talk to Joshua Pruitt, stay with us. We'll be right back in 44 seconds. I mean, the world has gone crazy, right? I mean, this whole pandemic, I, I, I don't even know if I'm coming or going anymore. You know what I mean? But the one thing during the pandemic that I found out, right, that was a good thing, was the Madame Paris Salon. I mean, this podcast, right, when you hear her laughing, all you want to do is laugh, right? When her dog's barking in the background, and she's talking to the dog, I'm like, she's going to an interview, and I'm like, this podcast is the best podcast I've ever heard before. You know what I mean? Now, isn't that sweet? Oh, <laughs> I have. <laughs> I've had I've had times when the dogs were very loud, and I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy Matt or M. William Phelps. He's got shows on ID Discovery, writes a lot of true crime books. And mm. when he was on the show once, and the dogs were barking, and I was trying to get him out, and they were barking at a neighbor, and uh, one of them made a sound he thought would have been injured, and he stopped the entire show. Josh, just to say, is that have I did I hear an animal be injured? Are you sure? Because I think oh. it's an animal being hurt. I want to know. And he kept oh, on so wow. far. I just had to say, look, I'm in Atlanta. 
That does not mean I'm broadcasting from Mike Vick's house, okay? So, because this was a few years wow. back. But anyway, wow. <laughs> it's oddly. So, anyway, <laughs> I, I have a caller here. <laughs> and welcome to Madam Perry's salon and say hello to Joshua Pruitt. That's who you are. Hey. It's Lydia. I just wanted to ask Joshua some questions. All right. Joshua, okay with you? Yeah, absolutely. Who am I talking about? Go ahead, Lydia. Lydia, okay, great. The first one is, what is your favorite movie you wrote? Favorite movie I wrote? Well, I think... I think pharmacist is probably one of my favorite things I've ever written. And I think of the movies I've been a part of, I think Candace Against the Universe is probably my favorite. It's got some of my favorite jokes, and I think it's got a sweet story. Um, but, yeah, I'm real proud of that one. And that's the one we won the Emmy Award for. So, you know, that that was a pretty exciting time. What's that, honey? What's that, Lydia? Say- that was really cool. You like that one? Yeah. Great. The second, the last question, which is the second question, is do you like working for Disney? I do like working for Disney. You know, I uh, that's a good question, Lydia. Um, you know, I think the thing I love about it is that, you know, uh, I think the Disney name carries a really important legacy in people's hearts. And to be a part of that, I think, is a, is a real honor and a privilege. And I take it really seriously because being able to write for you, Lydia, being able to write for you and write mm-hmm. for any of your siblings if you have them or write for your parents so that everyone gets to sit and laugh together, that means yeah. the world to me. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of the teams at Disney and TV and beyond, like, that's really important to all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for calling in, Lydia. Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to call and say you're awesome. That means the world. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you, you Lydia. We think you're pretty fantastic, too. Thank you so very much. Absolutely. Have a a good evening, dear. Nice. All right. You have a good night, Thanks, Lydia. All right. Nice. That was lovely. Hey, I'm going, to carry, um, I'm going to carry that one with me for a while. Thanks, Lydia. And thank you, Pete, for your great questions as well. Oh, yeah, Pete. And also, um, and let me just say here, uh, once again, Joshua Pruitt, American writer, storyboard artist, author, best known for his work in Disney television animation shows, Phineas and Ferb. Uh, for that, you've been writer, storyboard artist, starting with For Your Ice Only. Uh, how did it feel? to get an Emmy. I just want to know how it would, would feel. It was, it was, it was surreal. Um, if, if anyone wants to know what it felt like directly afterwards, my brilliant daughter Catherine grabbed my phone. The, the moment that I heard the news, because we were still, uh, it was Zoom, so we didn't get to go to the ceremony, so it was all, um, everyone was at home, but... She grabbed my phone and recorded me, and I put that interview. Uh, it's one of my saved stories on Instagram. So if you go look at at Zombie Tardis, 
uh, on Instagram. That's one of my safe stories. And yeah, I mean, I was, I couldn't believe it. I genuinely couldn't believe it. It was the second time I'd been nominated. We had been nominated as a team previously for the finale to the Phineas and Ferb series proper. And, and we did get to get all dolled up and we got dressed up, got to take my wife out, which was awesome. Um, got all dressed up and uh, we didn't win that night, but um, you know, to actually get for, for Candace to get recognized and for us to get recognized as a team, um, it was it was surreal. It was it was utterly surreal, and I still can't believe it. Um, I still can't believe it, to be perfectly honest. Mm, love that. I just cherish that forever, and uh, I know you share that that joy and that honor with your family too, because you you oh, know 100%. the support is just just. Uh, and undeniably important. Yeah, you betcha. And I'm also going to make sure that people know that I will be sharing, in case you didn't get things written down, I'll be sharing the uh, links to your social media, uh, at Zombie Tardis. I think that's your Twitter and that's your Instagram as well. That is correct. And also BigFinish.com, because a lot of my listeners tell me they listen when they're driving or when they're running or something, so... Just to keep everybody safe, that's why I make sure I share that on all of my social media, not just Madam Perry Salon, but my personal as well. Um, yeah, so, and I've got to listen, I've got to say these things out loud because I know I didn't talk to you and I won't have you much longer. Uh, see, Hamster and Gretel, uh, known for your work as TV writer on Milo Murphy's Law, uh, the original feature for Disney Plus, Phineas and Ferb the movie, Candace Against the Universe. God, I love that because, you know, you know in Candace anyway. <laughs> Candace yeah. Against the Universe is so legit. Uh, the Last Kids on Earth. Uh, which, that That's the Emmy Award-winning Netflix animated series. Is that right? That's correct, yes. All right. Um, okay, and you've worked on MST3K, uh, Doctor Who. My gosh, to me, I would feel like my all my dreams were coming true, and uh, some days it does feel like that. Some days, some days I'm really tired, Jennifer. But I am. It does feel like I've I've had some real dreams come true. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Sometimes we get tired doing things that we like, and I think I'm tired. But I'm glad I'm tired from this. You know, this is this is what I'm Absolutely. doing. Absolutely. Uh, also, uh, let's see. You contributed the Predator as summer camp slasher for Ghost Story to Predator Eyes of the Demon. Yes, I'm reading this off of my thing here. Uh, oh, and I uh, what is this? Um, the Wolf. I just ordered this today. Tell oh yeah. Wolf. So that's. Uh... Yeah, so the strength of the wolf is the pack. So Scott Peterson and I, after we kind of hit it off on, on Phineas and Ferb, first he really hated me, which is my favorite thing. Uh, and I, I consider Scott to be one of my dearest friends. But, um, uh, you know, I've got a big mouth on me. And when I first joined Phineas, he was like, what, what is this guy mouthing off all the time? Um, but we ended up becoming, we ended up becoming a, a fast friends. Uh, he's a big horror fan as well. We wrote a book. Uh, together called uh, Shipwreckers, The Curse of the Cursed Temple of Curses, or We Nearly Died a Lot. Um, but before we wrote that book, this was that was an original 
uh, shipwreckers you can find uh, at your local bookstore. And the concept is, uh, you know, what if Indiana Jones was an idiot and it was Short Round who was doing all the work and, you know, pulling their bacon from the fire. Um, but before we did that book, we, we ended up adapting John Favreau's Jungle Book, the um, live-action CG animated hybrid film, back into a novel. So we adapted that screenplay into a book, and based on the success of that, um, yeah, so Jungle Book, The Strength of the Wolf is the Pack. So based on the strength of that, Scott and I pitched Shipwreckers and sold that to Disney Hyperion. Um, but that's an original middle grade novel. That's a, that's a that's a perfect. Both of them actually are perfect for reading aloud. Uh, perfect read for middle grade. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of great jokes in Shipwreckers too that, that you know both mom and dad and the kids are going to enjoy. That was a great title, like that. <laughs> Shipwreckers, yeah, the curse actually... of the cursed temple of curses. Or we really we nearly died a lot. A lot, and the the title used to be longer. And the folks who were putting our cover together said we couldn't do it. The title used to be "Or We Nearly Died a Lot, a Lot," um, <laughs> but they, there was no room. There was no room on the cover, so they cut it. They cut it. <laughs> Why I oughta? <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, and one more thing: if we didn't all have enough reasons to love you, there's a per- there's a picture of you. Yeah, uh, wearing a, a kind of coverall jumpsuit, and you have a badge on there for Buckaroo Bonsai. Oh, yeah. That's one of my, and I mean, that's an all-timer for me, yeah. I, I I remember going to the Atlanta Science Fiction and Fantasy Festival when it was still held, just before the movie came out, and they were there, oh. they showed, this, gave us all kind of swag, and I got the Team Bonsai headbands and everything. I later bought the jacket. It's like a satin, you know, kind of baseball-style jacket. Oh, yeah. I still have it. That's amazing. I got, and oh, twice. What a treasure. What oh, a treasure. Oh, it is. It is. That'll be. Okay, I'll, you've I'll got be... to post that now. You've got to. I want to see photographs of that. I want to see it. Okay. you got to post that on social media now, Jennifer. I want to see it. I, see I do it, have one picture that I, uh, on, on social media. It's a different one. I think it was on my, my band page. But uh, I, I will share that one. But, yeah. And I've had a couple of shows where, uh, you know, Billy Vera that played, played Pinky Carruthers. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, because he's been on the show a few times. And so when we did a special for Buckaroo Bonsai for a lot of fans that wanted to talk about it. I had him come in because we, and he came in right when we said, "Yeah, and remember the Rasta guy comes up and goes, Nisi Buckaroo," and then of course Pinky Carruthers says, and then we hit the button, and then Billy comes in. Oh, yeah, buddy, everybody needs to see Buckaroo. Well, so, <laughs> well played. Well, and he's played. alive. Pinky is alive and well, or Billy. Um, still, you know, you, well, you uh, know him, don't you? Oh, not not personally, but his work, yes. And his song, what what would you think at this moment? The song he did it was so. What did you think? Oh, what's that I would now? do at this moment. When you stand here before me, tears in your eyes. That's him, Billy and the Beaters. Oh, that's ex- that's extraordinary. Oh, yeah, and I gotta he- I gotta share with you because now I know you're a fan. I didn't know that is uh, Swampy Marsh, the uh, the co-creator of Phineas. So he's a huge fan as well. And he's uh-huh. told me that he's got one of he's got one of those original bandanas from the release somewhere in his house. 
Um, I never got to see it. However, however, um, <laughs> yeah, one of one of our amazing layout artists, her hubby, um, worked in live action film and special effects. And so one day she showed up, and she had one of the original oscillation overthrusters. Uh-oh. And so I got to I got to I got to see this prop up close and personal. And just because I had, I had expressed that I was a super fan, and so Swampy was like, "Oh, you got to come here and you got to talk to this." So I mean, yeah, that was yeah. Buckaroo really like unites people. I shared this story the other day because they were celebrating uh, Clive Barker, the author's uh, birthday. He turned seventy, and uh, I went to a signing one time, and I was so excited to, to meet him and to get a signature. But I walk up and I'm wearing this jacket. And that's what he said. He goes, oh, Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> and, like, you know, if if in a million years you would have said, oh, yeah, like, uh, Clive Barker's a big Buckaroo Banzai fan, and that's what you guys are going to talk about, like, I would, you know, my head, but I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. I wouldn't have guessed yeah, that in a million right. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, I love the idea that Buckaroo brings people together. Oh, my gosh. And, and it seems to me it's one of those things that you're in or not. You either don't know. Uh, or you're wildly fanatic about it, like Todd Rundgren. That's you're either it. in or out, and I'm yeah. a big Todd Rundgren fan. In or Otherwise, out. Yeah. yeah. How... And Buckaroo, oh, honey. Oh, and one, here's a little bit of trivia. And uh, By God, you saw the oscillation overthruster. Yeah, it was amazing. It was nuts. It was nuts. Oh, you live the dream. I swear you do. Right. Um, and you deserve right. it. God yes. knows you deserve it because oh, you give everybody you. so much joy and happiness. You know, here's a bit of trivia for that. That's Remember when they, show, when they show the photograph uh, in the beginning of the show, Buckaroo's parents? Oh, yeah. yeah. Kind of I, little... I, okay. Where, yeah, go ahead. Keep going. I bet I you know this already. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Who is his mother? Who plays the part of his mother? The immortal Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes, yes, yes. And who, who, by the way, just this week got her hand and footprints on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Walk of Fame. Oh, really? It was about bang time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And God lover, film goddess forever. Love oh, you, yeah. Jamie Lee. Oh, yeah. She's fantastic. Okay. Well, listen, you have been, like I said, you've been so generous with your time tonight as much as you've been with your talents for all of us. I mean, yes, it's a career. You do it. You enjoy it. But your job gives so much happiness to the world, the people of all ages, uh, like Peter G. And, oh, oh, okay. I've got uh, two guys, two guys named James and um, – Arizona sent in a message to me. Love this show, JP. One of your best, one of your very best guests yet. Thank you. Um, and then uh, Louise from Missouri. She says, my husband Rusty and I are listening. We love everything this dude does. Well, this dude oh, wow. thanks you, I'm sure. So, <laughs> Oh, thank you all. Thank you all. That's so kind. And they said, Louise says, we don't have kids, but we've had lots of nieces and nephews. So, yes, we know this world well. So, well, thank you. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. All right. So, uh, please, please come back. Please come back soon. And, hey, we had Lydia call in, and we had uh, uh, Peter G., the Polish animator in Chicago, who's still with us. Aren't you, Peter? Yes, I am. I'm just being very polite. <laughs> Oh, thanks, Peter. 
Thanks for thanks for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you for answering my questions. It's been wonderful. And my we pleasure. are delighted to have you here. And um, yeah, so you know what? We hope we wish you uh, more success. Uh, please say hello to your wife for me and your kids. I would love to meet her one day because she is a she she's a solid. Woman, she is. She yeah, is Amanda's. Amanda is my hero. We we actually we met when we were nine and ten years old. We were high school sweethearts. Um, oh my So gosh. she's been one of my. Yeah, she's one of been one of my best friends for almost my entire life. Yeah, I like her style. Uh, she's great. And thank you so <laughs> very know, much. I'll tell her. I'll tell her. <laughs> I, I know you've had a busy day. I've got to let. You, hey, listen. I now my husband's an, an engineer in the space aerotech. Um, mm. Radio frequency world. I mean, he supports like there's a launch last week of uh, two uh, satellites, Galaxy 34 and 35, and of course, um, mm. the company. Uh, you know, he was doing a lot of the design on those uh, certain things. That I don't know what he's talking. I'm like Mrs. Einstein. I don't know anything about his theories. I just know how he likes <laughs> to see. You know, but for the for the launch, and I think uh, SpaceX did the actual sent the uh, satellites up there, and you can watch it on YouTube. But um, you know, but when he's also, he's a musician, whenever he's played, you know, and people go, oh, that guy with that guitar is so cute. I'll go, yes, he is. He is. You should come back and bring all your friends, you know. I don't get jealous. I just go, yeah, yeah, come back. Bring all your friends next time he plays. So, yeah, I'm with that woman, uh, Amanda. So thank you so much. You I am so, so grateful. Please, please, please come back sometime. Happy to. Happy to. Thank you so much for your time, Madam Perry, and uh, super appreciate you've given me the chance to talk to folks today and to share with you. So thank you. Well, you are quite welcome. And you always have a home here in the Genie Bottle. So everybody, I always say I will be sharing all the information to find out everything you want to know uh, at Josh Pruitt and his work. And believe me, we see what he's given us so far. Goodness knows what we have coming up next. Thank you so much, everybody. Be good to yourself. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.